0: we got several who uh, are here for the very first time, some of which are my family. So if you see a little kid running around, it's not my son, but it is my nephew who looks like my sister, who I look like. Uh, and so glad to have Susie and Jason and Camden in from Alabama. They will be heading back tomorrow, but really grateful for them being here for a few days and thankful for you if it's your first time here. If it's your first time you probably don't know, but we have a theme every year Uh, at the congregation to kind of help us focus on our teaching and our preaching. And this year it's being holy as God is holy. And we started last week looking at being holy, which means being separated to God, which means being devoted to God, at the things that we're good at, in our strengths, and in the things in which we would look at ourselves and we would say, yep, I got that one down, Pat, I got this one good. And that gets me to our introduction when most of us, I would suggest, like someone to say, good job. And theres I'll, I'll sidetrack for just a second. It's also maybe sometimes known as words of affirmation. You're affirming that you're doing something good. So there's this book out there called The Five Love Languages, and you can read it if you want to. But one of the ways in which people, they feel loved, is when somebody tells them, you did good. And the truth is, that doesn't mean much to me. When you tell me a great sermon, you already know how I feel about that. I'm just like, okay, thanks. It doesn't matter that much to me. Other people, it matters a lot, too, that you make sure you better tell them as you walk out the door, that was a good sermon. Uh, And whatever the case may be, but we all have a little inclination of where we like to be told we're doing a good job. And usually here's the phrase that follows us up. Good job, keep it up. You're doing right, just keep doing it. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, I want you to open up to the First Thessalonians. In chapter 1, as he begins his letter to these group of people that he has just converted just maybe a couple months ago. Uh, but that he had to leave very abruptly. He had to leave without really saying goodbye the way he would want to say goodbye. And without leaving them in this state in which he would want to leave them. He decides that he needs to write them a letter once he gets word about them. And so what they would have done, they would have received this letter and they probably would have read it out loud. And he begins by telling these things that he knows about them. I know, let's pick up in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. First thing he says, we pray for you all the time. Now notice verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. You've taken on an occupation, a job of faith, meaning your business now is to have faith. And you've done that. We know that. And we know your labor of love. You've toiled, you've struggled in love for one another. And we know about that. And we know about your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that you've stood firm. We know that you've had endurance and you've held on to Christ and the hope in which He brings. Then, by the way, verse 4, we know, brothers, that you are loved by God and that He has chosen you. We know that God wants you. And we know that God has shown His love to you. And that's a special thing. And verse 5, we know this because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You were fully converted. You saw the miracles. You saw these things. And you know about us. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. We lived a certain way while we were there so that we could show you. And you know that. And then verse 6. And you became imitators of us. And of the Lord. You followed us. You have followed in our footsteps. And what I think he's saying here specifically. Is you suffered just like we as apostles have suffered. And just like Jesus Christ has suffered. When you received the gospel. He said you become imitators of us. For you received the word in much affliction. And with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Life hasn't been easy for you. But yet you still manage to have joy in those times because of this love that God has shown you. So notice verse 7. Not only we know that you followed us, that you've been suffering like us. Notice verse 7. We know that you have become an example to all those believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And our word here that you've become an example... We normally think of just someone that you look up to. It's the idea of a mold. You are the mold that we should be making everyone else in this area, in Macedonia and in Achaia. And I'll tell you a couple churches that are there in Macedonia. Remember Philippi? We have the letter to the Philippians. That's in Macedonia. We have the Bereans that we learned about in Acts 17. They're in Macedonia. And Achaia is the region in which Corinth. So the church at Corinth. And so they've become examples to all these people in modern day Europe and Greece and all of those areas over there. that They need to be like you. And they want to be like you. And so, it's not only gone there, but notice what else has happened. People look at you, verse 8, their example, but your faith, in the middle of the verse, in God has gone forth everywhere. Your faith is known everywhere. And notice the second part. And uh, I can't read it. So there, there we don't need to tell anybody about it. So verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from the idols to serve the living God. And you're waiting from heaven a Savior. Basically what he says is. Everybody is telling us how good you're doing. And so you're the Thessalonians. And you get this letter, and you might think to yourself, we are good. And we're good to go. We got this thing down pat. Man, this Christianity business ain't going to be that tough after all. It's going to be easy. Well, they were good, and they were doing things well. Well, we're going to see this morning that he points out three things that they needed to increase. And surprise, surprise, it was three things in which they were already doing a good job in. These were their strengths, and they needed to make them even stronger. We know that. We use the phrase, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You can be good at something at one point, and if you don't continually work at it, and you don't continually practice it, You will lose it. And he says there are some things that you're doing well that you need to improve on, that you need to keep growing. The first thing that he mentions, I want you to go to chapter 3 now. In chapter 3, he tells us, he's telling them, hey, let me let you in on my life for a second. After I was taken away from you so abruptly and so rudely, I was really worried about you. I didn't know what was going to happen with you, and I didn't know what was going to happen with your faith. I know how you were when we were there. But with the persecution, remember that was when in Acts 17, they had a guy in their midst named Jason, who was housing Paul, and he got dragged out of his house, and he got put before the courts, and the courts fined him. Yeah, that happens in that city. And that all was going on, so I was worried about you. I was worried what else might happen to you. And so you would notice down in verse 2, I had to send Timothy to you. I was willing to be left alone in in verse 1, which Paul didn't like to do. When you've got scary things to do and you've got difficult jobs to do, you don't want to be by yourself. But Paul said, I was so concerned about you that I was willing to be left alone. Now verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, To establish and exhort you in your faith. Not that you be moved by any of these afflictions, these persecutions. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. You know that you have to suffer. Now notice verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would have been in vain. I'm so worried about you, I thought maybe we wasted our time. I had to send Timothy. And so verse 6, he sends him, he's concerned about him. But notice the response. But now Timothy has come to us from you. Timothy had seen him. Timothy had been with him. And he's brought us good news about your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction the apostles were also suffering notice what he says during all that time because of your love for us because of your faith we have been comforted about you through your faith their faith was doing well he was brought joy to him brought comforting But notice as he continues in his prayer, verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for you and our sake before God. Man, we love you. And we tell God how much we love you. And then verse 10, As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face. We want to be there with you. And supply... What is lacking in your faith? How can somebody who has so much faith be lacking in it? So you can probably imagine the audience, all of them at one time, be like, what? How? Why? What do we have left to do? And Paul says, you're still missing some things. You're not there yet. And that's the way it should feel all the times when we do good and things we're not there yet. And how many times are we going to say that this quarter? You're doing good, but we're not complete. We're not there yet. And so how might a group like that, or how might a group like us, or people like us, improve, increase our faith? Well, there's a passage in Second Peter chapter 2 or chapter 1 where Paul says for this very reason, because we have been partakers of the divine nature, he says, make every effort... To supplement. And that is our word. We understand the concept of supplementing something, don't we? It's not the only thing. We're adding to it. So we're supplementing our diet with various types of pills and exercises, etc. You supplement your faith with virtue. Or as some of your translations may say, with moral excellence. You not only believe in God, but you live your life pure, morally, and you add to that knowledge. You know more and more about God and you come to know God more. And with knowledge, self-control. You start restricting yourself a little better. You not only believe in God, but you want to control yourself. Or steadfastness. You're willing to persevere through difficult things that happened in your life. And you keep going and you're going and you add brotherly affection. You gotta love your brethren. And finally, brother, affection, love. And then he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're doing them and you're doing them more and more, you won't be unfruitful. That's just the way it is of a Christian. This stuff you do good, do it better. And you have to make every effort to do that. You're not going to naturally pick that up. It has to be a mental decision. I'm going to strengthen my faith more and more and more, over and over. Second thing, you go back to 1 Thessalonians. You see, the second thing they also did, and we learned about it in verse 6 here, of when Timothy comes back, he reports not only their, their faith, but he reports about their love. He says, you love us. And he tells us about that, and that makes you great. But notice, you not only love us, but man, you love your brethren in all these places. I want you to go down, uh, in verse 11. He prays this prayer, and we saw this back in chapter, in verse 9, that he wanted to go and supply their faith. Notice verse 11. Now may our God and Father Himself and Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul's prayer for these people is that, yeah, you've got great love and we know about it, but that God makes you increase more and more in your love. And it's not just for your brethren, but it's for all people. How you say, well, Alright, that's all well. That's all good. I need to love the people that I love and I need to love everybody. Right? We talk about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, go to chapter 4. And you see in verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, man, you have no need of anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Like you got this one down so good, nobody needs to tell you about that one. But notice the next verse, verse 10. For indeed, that's what you're doing for all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You've really shown love to your brethren throughout your region. So we would say to Berea, to Philippi, you've man, you've shown up. For us, that would be like Jersey. Man, you've really shown love to your brethren in Jersey. Or New York across the river. He says, now it's time to do that more and more for all. Not just in our little isolated bubble. It's not just our little room right here. But it is our love for all brethren in Christ. Do that more and more. And so maybe they're a little more accustomed to it by now. It's only a couple of them chime up and they say, Why? I gotta love that person more? Like, it's hard enough to love them right now. Why do I have to love them more? Well, remember the Apostle John said a little something about that? He said in 1 John chapter 3 this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that you love one another. And there'd be some question about maybe when this beginning is. But the illustration seems to think he actually goes back to the beginning of the world. To the beginning of mankind when there were first brothers in the world. As he uses Cain and he uses Abel as an example. You remember who Cain and Abel were? Sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain killed Abel and we learn out why in verse 12. He murdered him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, does that happen? I'm not talking necessarily about murder for a second. Is there ever been a brother or sister in Christ that you just really love? Like you're really close to them. Maybe you grew up together and you sat next to the pew together, all this. Or maybe they, you just become really good friends and you love them. And then something starts happening in your life and you're not doing so well spiritually anymore. And they keep increasing and maturing and progressing. And I start looking at them like. Let me get a little further away. To the point where you start building up resentment. And hatred for them. Is that possible? It's absolutely possible. I loved them. I would have done anything for them at that time in my life. But now. I hate them because. They're much better than me. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. So he says, as he goes on, he lists some things. He says, hey, you got goods, verse 17, and he's in need. Don't you dare close your heart to it. You better be tender hearted when your brother or your sister needs something. You open your heart. But notice this verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth truth is, we talk a big game about how much we love our brothers and how much we love our sisters in Christ. We do. We say it. I love them. But when the rubber meets the road, eh, we might not love them as much. Because that may require me to give up something like Tom was talking about this morning. It may require me to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Maybe a brother or sister walks in from another place. And I don't know who they are. And I say, man, I really love the brethren. But yet I don't ever go and say hello. I don't ever go and approach anyone except for the people that I already know really well that I really love and I'm doing a good job loving them. And he would be saying, yep, keep loving them, but love others all more and more. Don't forget everyone else that's not around here. Thirdly and finally, you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He finishes this prayer in verse 13 by saying, so that he may establish your hearts. Remember, he was worried about them being grounded. He wanted them to be established, to be firm. And I want you to know what he wants them to be established in that they establish your hearts blameless in. Holiness. There is our theme for the year. That, he blame, that you be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I want you, when he comes, to be holy in your hearts. So he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, I think it's a conclusion. Finally then, brethren, it's not the end, but Important we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do more and more. God wants you to be holy and He wanted their hearts to be holy and He wanted them to be pleasing and they were walking in holiness and pleasing to Him, but He said there, verse 2, Do this more and more. I think he goes on to emphasize that a little more. And to be specific in one area of holiness in particular, verse 3. For this is the will of God for you. Your holiness. That's just all there is to it. It's God's will that we be holy and that they be holy. And so he says, here's what you need to be holy in. That you abstain from sexual immorality. You stay away from sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. You abstain from that. You keep yourself pure in that. And that each one of you know how to control his own vessel in holiness and honor. I'm not going to go get into how difficult this passage is to interpret and what the meaning is. But you get the idea, right? Is that what is accepted is not just living however you want, as he says in verse 5, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgressed and wrongly. You don't just get to do what you want to do. You know God. You've been called to serve the living God, and you've left those idols. You've left that way to do that. And so you keep living that way. And verse 7, Because God has not called us for impurity. And there's our sexual word of being impure. God hasn't called us to that. God has called us not for impurity, but in holiness. And notice how he concludes that. Therefore, whoever disregards this, you disregard that this is the way God expects you to be, He disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. See what he just said there? You don't want to stay true to your spouse, and you don't want to stay true to yourself, you're not rejecting what I'm saying. You're rejecting what God has called you to be. And therefore, you're no longer walking Pleasing to Him, even though you once were. Do this more and more. So you say, well, well, how can I do that more and more? Like, can I love my spouse more? Beats me. I imagine you can, right? Can I control myself more? I'd say so, right? But notice a passage back in the Old Testament, as we reference here. There's a passage in Proverbs 5. Where he says this, Solomon says this to his son: Drink water from your own cistern, your own well. And he's using this well as a metaphor for your wife. You drink water out of your own well, flowing water from your own well. Because should your springs be spat, spat, ugh, I can't read. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street? Should you just take your water? And just throw it all over the place? Your wife? Just throw her all over the place? Of course not. Let them be for yourself alone. And not for strangers with you. You don't share your wife with somebody else. She is yours. So notice this. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. Let there always be water there. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her be as a lovely deer or a graceful doe, just beauty and and grace, and let her breast fill you at all times. And there's the phrase, at all times with delight. And be intoxicated or led away always in her love. Always. Like at all times, always be satisfied with her. Don't be thinking about the grass on the other side of the fence. Don't be thinking about your neighbor's wealth. Be thinking about your own and how beautiful he or she is, husband or wife, whatever the case may be, because verse 21, "The man's ways are before the Lord, and he ponders it. He knows what you do. Nobody else may have a clue what you're doing. He knows he says, that's not what I called you to. I called you to be holy in your conduct in all of these things. Here's the conclusion. If you're the Thessalonians. What, what are you going to do? Well, you say, man, that's a lot of work. I don't really think I need to do that. I got this one down pat. I'm good on all this. Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 lets us know about how the Thessalonians responded. You notice in chapter 1 and verse 3 that Paul says, We ought to always give thanks for you. And notice the reasons why. As it is right, because it's fitting, because your faith is growing abundantly. You did what we asked you to do. Your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you is increasing You took it to heart. You're abounding in that. You're increasing in your love for one another and for all. And therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all your afflictions that you're enduring. You're going through it. Now, here's the latter part, verse 5, that you're pleasing to God. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God says you are worthy. You're walking in holiness in a way that is what I want you to be. Keep it up. That's us. There's plenty we can do. Those are just three areas to improve you are subject in any way this morning to invitation. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.